I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 14 and just to um, talk to you this morning about being, you know, one nation under God. Um, and when we say that, um, we should be one nation under God, but unless we get it this way, under God we are one nation, we really can't be one nation under God until, first of all, we are people that are underneath God. And so I hope that you've uh, eaten breakfast this morning and that you've uh, spent time, you're ready to go, and you got all the other things out. I'll ask you that unless your bladder's just about to explode, let's focus this morning and just stay in here, okay? Uh, and y'all know, I know why y'all at 9 o'clock come, because you think that I won't go in overtime because we got to get the next service in, but, but they can line up. It's okay. It's no problem. They'll get in here eventually. Look at chapter number 14, and I want to look at one verse of Scripture this morning. And I know that immediately when I say that, some of y'all go, yes, because one verse of scripture means there's no way he could preach this long. So look at verse 34. Y'all are, y'all are not happy today. That's okay. Uh, I'm going to talk about Holson in just a minute. I'm going to get to him. That was pretty good. The Bible says, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The Bible says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin brings disgrace and shame to any person or to any people or to any nation. Now, you want to look at this scripture and you want to go, well, this applies only to Israel because Israel was God's chosen people, God's chosen nation. But in the same way, I want you to think about what Holston's testimony was this morning. And uh, it's pretty funny. Uh, I don't know if y'all saw it, but I saw a whole lot of Andrew uh, on there, but it's pretty funny how um, he got a little comfortable in the camera there and just kind of laid back a little bit, you know, and put his arms back and kind of telling his story. And uh, what's so cool to me is that he talked about the Word of God being important, and he, but, but I couldn't, I can't read it, you know what I mean? And uh, I couldn't read well, and uh, but he said, I'm working on it. And I was like, that's awesome. But when he talked about not reading, a lot of people today want to tell us that we need to get out of stained glass churches, and the stained glass is just old-fashioned, and we shouldn't do that anymore. We need to be more comfortable to the people of the world and to the people in culture and society because we just don't need that old stained glass anymore. I've had preachers tell me that, that we don't need the old stained glass anymore. And, and the reason that people say that, first of all, is because of ignorance, because we don't understand where all this kind of stuff come from. But uh, stained glass in those days of the churches back in even dark ages when stained glass was there in the windows, if you notice, especially in a lot of the larger cathedrals and large temples and stuff like that, the reason that they had the stained glass was because of poor, uneducated people. The poor and uneducated people could come in, or the ones that were so young that could not read, they came in and the pictures, or as Holson said, the Bible stories were actually portrayed as the sun shone through that stained glass. They would see that Jesus fed the 5,000, or that Jesus and the wonderful birth of Jesus Christ from the Virgin Mary, or his crucifixion, as those things shined in, it was shining in upon the people, not just the educated, but even the uneducated, which is just much just like you and I today. We may read well at times, and there's preachers that I know of that couldn't read anything and called to preach, and they fought with it and said, how am I going to preach? And I can't read the Word. And I know a friend of mine that had his brother sit down with him every day and read the Scriptures to him to where when he did preach, he memorized the Scripture that he was going to preach the text on. And so it's awesome, and it's so wonderful that all of this Scripture, although it has one application, so to say, or one definition and one thing that it's really talking about, it does kind of move out of that always and can give us an application even for our lives. So this scripture where it says that righteousness exalteth a nation, 
But shame or a reproach is a shame to any person. Proverbs 14 and 34, the righteousness that brings up and upholds and raises up a nation that we know that God is speaking to Israel, this also speaks to everyone. You say, how could you say that, Brother Steve? How could you say that David was talking about these things, or excuse me, Solomon was talking about these things in the book of Proverbs and that it would actually apply to us today? Because look at the words. Look at the words themselves. It says that righteousness exalteth a nation. And if we just had that portion of Scripture, we would go, okay, God has seemed to have reserved that and put it underneath for the nation of Israel because he has exalted them because his righteousness is with them. But look at the latter part of the verse. It says, but sin is a reproach to any people. And what that means is, is that the same God whose righteousness was with Israel as a nation can also be with us as a nation of people. And the same thing applies that sin brings a reproach to any people, any nation, when those things happen. And so to preach about one nation under God, I want to kind of tell you where, obviously, you know where we drew that from. If we look at just the simple Pledge of Allegiance. When we understand that, I was going to try to do that with you today and, and to help you understand it, but just look at the words here of, of our pledge, what we call the, the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States flag. We, we call it this. We understand that it says, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And a lot of people, we look at that, and some of you have kind of said that, you have recited that since you were what we call in the country, knee-high to a grasshopper. You remember, how many of you remember in school, some of you back in the old days where you didn't have a lot of things and maybe a, a wood-burning stove in the center of the schoolhouse and they'd all make you stand up and you would say the Pledge of Allegiance. You would even sing God Bless America at times. I've heard many of the older saints of God tell me that there was a time they would sing God Bless America. They would sing My Country, Tis of Thee. We, I can remember in elementary school saying the Pledge and also doing My Country, Tis of Thee. But why? It was the thing that we were trying to Build and establish something. And it also is one of those things where not everybody is doing it. Not everybody is underneath the code or underneath the law to do it. In the land that we live in called the United States of America, they also have freedom to where they can choose not to recite that. Now, do we say that they're right or wrong? If you want to know my opinion, I'd tell you that I don't, I don't like that. If you're living here and you enjoy the benefits here, that we should be this one nation, that we should be together. But they don't have to. And I can remember in school, uh, a young lady in our classroom that would never stand up and never say it and stuff. And man, I can remember guys and girls that would just poke and prod all over them. And kind of like Christians do today to some unsaved person, they want to put their foot on top of their head instead of reaching out with grace and try to help people understand. And we shouldn't do that. But when we say this, we really need to know what we're saying. We need to know where it came from. A lot of people think the Pledge of Allegiance came about in 1776, that when they wrote the Declaration and when the Constitutions were written later on in years and all of our Bill of Rights, the great big ten things that we have, where we're going to do this, 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 and obey this, and we're not going to allow people to do this to us. They think, well, the flag and the Pledge of Allegiance just kind of came all in there together, but it didn't. It wasn't until later on in 1892, about 400 years in the celebration, there was a huge celebration, 400 years later, after Christopher Columbus came in and sailed the ocean blue and went 
1492, right? Everybody remember that? You, you remembered it easily because it rhymed together, right? But in 1892, there was a man by the name of Francis Bellamy that came in and he wrote this pledge of allegiance to the flag. He wrote it out, but it didn't look like this that we read and we recite today. It actually looked like this one that says, I pledge allegiance to my flag and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And in looking at that, you say, well, where did this kind of, where did this boil up from? Because songs, the star-spangled banner, kind of boils up from what? Looking at the, the rocket's red glare and bombs bursting in air and all of those things was the fight that went on with breaking away from, from the British and the Redcoats and breaking away from all of that. And we're trying to establish our own freedom and our own independence and our own states and colonies and our own kind of union, you'd say, that we're going to be people that, that we live in liberty and, and life and the pursuit of happiness. Happiness. Even our people that pinned down things such as the Declaration of Independence wrote those things in there that we were created with unalienable rights by our God to pursue after these things. We live, literally, listen to me, <clears throat> travel anywhere you want to. We live in the greatest place that we could ever live. But yet we're fighting among one another and the battle is now like a family feud between one another inside of our own or inside of our own houses and inside of our own dinner tables. And if you've never been to a family reunion or family get-together where this one didn't agree with this one or they started fighting at a family disagreement, you, you went to a fight. You have been embarrassed. You felt, man, I never thought this would happen. But we, we move and we've molded and we've actually tried to grow from all of this. Where, did this. where did this statement that this man came up with, Mr. Bellamy, come up with that I pledge allegiance to my flag and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And you break down what he was trying to do. And he was actually a, a Baptist minister that actually backslid and became a... Uh, uh, a salesman, so to say. And so, but he was a Baptist minister at the time, and he had such a passion to bring the people of America who were people underneath God. He had a passion to bring them all together. There's nothing wrong with bringing people together in unity. But the problem is this if you don't uh, dissolve the issue of what is going to bring us together, we're not going to have fellowship together with people that, listen to me, that are walking in darkness rather in light. And what I mean by fellowship, I mean by communion. The word fellowship in the New Testament means communion. John says in 1 John, what fellowship hath light with darkness? They can't mix and blend together. What fellowship has Christ and Belial or Satan? He said, Satan and Christ, you can't worship Satan and worship Christ at the same time, right? I'd advise you not ever to worship Satan, by the way, if I could just put that in there. But you can't do them at the same time. And so the fellowship, that doesn't mean that you don't reach out to an unbeliever, that you don't love an unbeliever, that you don't try to extend friendship and extend a hand of mercy and grace to an unbeliever. If we as the church stop doing that, then we're stopping, we're stopping the whole mission of what the Great Commission actually is. But the part that gets us is the fellowship.
It means that you do not come down in sin unto that level in order to think that you could bring them out of sin because there's only one that can bring somebody out of sin, and that's Jesus Christ. And if you're wallowing around in sin with the people and doing the same things they do, how are you going to be strong enough to witness unto them about Jesus? And so we have this big thing together. It happened back in the 80s with me, and the, the, can't we all get along and all this stuff? And the truth actually is, is that we're not always all going to get along. Some of y'all don't like the style of music that I like. I mean, listen to me. You just don't like that music. There, there's some of you. Andrew Abney hates it when I put on a bluegrass gospel song. Hates it. Despises it. He says that sounds like the worst thing I could ever hear. He says it's so nasally and it just sounds like people are singing through their nose. And I'm going, they are. You know, but some of the songs are good. I like some of it. I like the musical part of it. He and I could agree on classic rock. Jacob and I could agree on those things. I can't agree with Jacob on his country music because it, it's not my, my forte. Modern country music just ain't my thing, okay? But I could agree with Britt on some old country music, right? But looking at how everybody wants them all to get together, that's what this man's desire was. And so he started out and said, I pledge allegiance to my flag. When you look at that, what was going on? This was 27 years later. 1865, the Civil War had ended. 27 years later, 1892, this is when he pinned down the words about pledging some kind of allegiance to his country, to his flag. And what he was trying to state was, was that all of us need to come together and understand that if we are citizens of America then we must look across all of our divisions, all of our separations, all of our differences, and we must come together and understand that we will pledge allegiance to this nation to bring in what we would hold as truth. He even walked a little further and said what? That the flag itself is nothing. Let me say something to you. The without hurting your feelings, the nation of the United States is nothing apart from the people within it. The nation is nothing. Documents, papers, constitutions, buildings, uh, the Library of Congress, the Lincoln Memorial, <clears throat> the Jefferson Memorial is nothing without the people, without the republic for which all of that flag stands for. And that flag stands for everyone of every color, of every race, of all nations that have come in underneath that. It doesn't stand for all of us that were just born here, but even as we look into the New York Harbor, it says, give us your tired and your weak and your poor. Bring them in. Let them come in. If they're seeking refuge, let them come in. We ought to be that kind of country. That if people are seeking refuge from the enemy, and there is a known enemy that's out there, and they're seeking refuge from their national dictators, and they want to come here and join in with us in freedom and in liberty and pursuit of happiness and do it the right way, we ought to be the people of God and the nation that God loves and say, yes, you come, and you seek the shelter that you need, but you can't bring those evil things in. You must come, and we must be together as one. One nation, republic people, and that's what the flag stands for. That flag stands for people that have given their life in the name and in the honor of what? Of your pursuit of happiness, of your freedom, 
The very things that disturb us the most, when people say things, and we watch it on social media, we watch it on the news channels of CNN and Fox News and MSNBC and all of these others, and they say these things that make us cringe, and it makes us crawl, Miss Martha, all the way down our, the spine of our back, and we go, how could someone say that in the United States of America, even what we stand on today, because of those people believing in a nation that had freedom of speech, they even died for those things. You say, Brother Steve, what could you relate that to? Even the people that slapped Jesus in the face, spit on him, and Brother Edward plucked his beard out, Jesus died for them just as much as he died for all of us. Every single one of us. So there was this thing. Things began to happen, and because of the Civil War, he said, we need to move together. And it's tough. It's tough even today now you think because you come in today that I'm preaching one nation under God, I'm going to tell you who to vote for and who to do all these things and want the easy way out. But what we're looking at is Scripture. And what you need to see is that the Bible says that righteousness brings up and exalts a nation. When we look at this, the words, my flag, eventually, years later in 1923, the words, I pledge allegiance to my flag, were changed to these words right here. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States. A few years after that, absolutely the next year after that, of America were added. So now our pledge says, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And no other form of the pledge has been officially received by Congress we didn't even do this or receive a pledge of allegiance to a flag or to a nation until 1942. Until June 22nd, 1942. We look at that and we kind of go back 78 years. <clears throat> 78 years, 75 years. We, we, we had this thing kind of change. We've had this movement kind of go on. And even back when this was said in 1942, think about it. There are people that are in this church that were born in that year, the year before. I'm not going to point them out. I'm just going to look this way. But at their birth, some people in here, at their birth, the flag or the Pledge of Allegiance itself was not even recognized by the whole states of the United States to be able to recite and to be able to do that until that year. And we sit around here and think that it's been going on forever and forever and that as soon as the, that John Hancock signed the Declaration of Independence that they put the flag and put the, put the pledge in there and stuff. But it's not until then. And then not only that, there's been one other change. One more change that's happened. It moved from my pledge allegiance to my flag, to the flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands. One other thing was added, and it was added in 1954 on Flag Day. 1954. And you know what it was? 76 years ago, or 60-something or years ago, you know what was added? Under God. It was added. And people go, well, why would they do that? People today that are totally against God, they want it taken out. They want it stricken from the record. They want it erased off of the books. We don't want to say that. And you have the right in the United States where you don't even have to recite that. Even now today, when the Pledge of Allegiance is stated, there are people that leave just those two words out because they don't want to recite that. And because of the place that we live, they have the freedom to do that. No matter, no, listen to me now, I'm going to really make you mad, so it's fine. No matter what you think about it or not. It doesn't matter what we think about it. What matters is, is that those that do believe in a nation under God, that when we do that, we would say that. 
Because we believe it's under God. Why was it added back in 1954? Because we had just gone through two major wars. Not only that, we were entering into what they called the Cold War in the days where Russia, which is a communist nation, which was an atheist nation that they actually had as their religion of their kind of walk in life and their national way way of life was being an atheist. We were trying to separate ourselves as nations from them and we wanted people to know that we were a people that are not just one nation that's wandering around, but we are a nation that is guided by God Almighty, and we are underneath the umbrella of God. They wanted that done. Congress put that into place. Not only that, but in 2001, after two airplanes had hit two major buildings in our states, and in our city, and in our United States, and then another one was driven into the Pentagon, and another one was driven in a big field out in Pennsylvania. Listen, all of those things happened on that day. Do you remember... Moments later, few moments later, Congress, all of Congress, stood on the steps of the Capitol and they sang these words, God bless America, land that I love, stand beside her and guide her with the lot, well, excuse me, through the night with the lot from above. Think of those words. They said, stand beside her. That brings us to where we are. Many people today, how do we salute the pledge? We have an actual pledge code that we have an order of doing these things. The pledge code actually teaches us that if you are a serviceman or a woman that you would salute in the natural way. It says that if you are a citizen that you would remove your headdress unless it is a righteous headdress or righteous garment and um You would stand with your hand over your heart. It actually states today that if you have a headdress on, that you would take your hat off and that you would place your hat not over your heart, but you'd place your hat over your shoulder so that your hand is still over your heart. But many of you would not know this, but in 1892, when Francis Bellamy wrote that, they actually had what was called the Bellamy salute, that he saluted the flag in this manner, that they were to reach out and to stretch out toward the flag that they were pledging allegiance to. Then eventually it moved around to where they had their hand not upheld high, but they had their hand where it was reached out. And because of the war and because of Hitler, we changed and we moved from that because we did not want to be referenced to what they were doing and helling Hitler and so we moved it and they said place your hand over your heart. We constantly do these things. We're constantly doing this. Why? To separate ourselves from things that are not of God. Constantly Congress signed things into place, put uh, documents after documents after documents all in that. And as we examine this pledge and we, we go through the examination of it all, that song that says is titled God Bless America that they sang after the United States was attacked and 2,977 United States civilians were killed. People were killed. Servicemen and women were killed that day. They said these words, we will stand beside her. They didn't say we'll stand in front of her. We will stand beside her. Do you know what that is? It's the first thing. As we examine the, uh, examine the pledge, look at this right here. We need to look at this word, allegiance. That we're examining our allegiance unto this. Allegiance speaks of this. Listen to these words. Commitment, loyalty, fidelity, duty. Our allegiance is to our nation. And allegiance means that our devotion would be to what? Upholding, defending, honoring, and our commitment to this nation in which we live. 
I hear people talk all the time about, I'm so concerned about my children growing up. I'm so concerned about my grandbabies growing up in the United States of America. I'm so concerned about the next generation of people. And if they're ever going to want a nation and desire a nation, we have to make it desirable to them. You say, what do you mean, Brother Steve? We can't gripe and complain about everything that's not going our way. We must walk in the path of righteousness, and we must make these people that are younger than us thirsty for what they know and hopefully would want someday. You say, what do you mean? No one in their right mind, nobody in their right mind would open up, literally just open up a can of pureed sweet potatoes. No one desires it. You know, I've never sat at dinner before, brother, and went over there and somebody said, you know what I'd like to have? I'd like to have some really fine pureed sweet potatoes. Or you don't know what will go along with that. I'd like to have some pureed green beans. No one wants to eat that stuff through a straw. And even your babies don't want that stuff. Watch them when you try to feed it to them. Put them in a hot chair, and you put that bite in their mouth, and they go, and they're spitting it everywhere. So what do you do? You know what you do. You go, here comes the airplane. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And if you're really, really wanting them to desire it, you'll go, oh, it's so good. Here comes the airplane. You make the airplane sound. So that they, that, and what do they do? Like a fat little baby, they go, ah, oh, open up and stick it in there, right? Sure, they want the Hawaiian delight made by Gerber. And you know, my, I think my dad still eats that stuff. Everybody wants all of that. But what do you do? You make it desirable to them. You know why people don't want your Christianity? You know why people never ask you about Christ? Never ask you to pray for them? You know why they never, ever, ever ask you about church or ask you where you go? Because are we making it desirable to them? Are we? I'm not saying we go out there and go, we're going to church. But we should make Christ desirable to people. Allegiance is our commitment. When we were born into this nation, you know what actually happens? It makes it uh, being spoiled probably a little bit too much. Many of us are really just spoiled because we've never known anything else. We've never been anywhere else. We've not gone out of even this country itself. We, <laughs> look, going to Panama City is not going out of the country. All right, We think that all this stuff is just supposed to be this way all around the world. It's not. You go to other places. You go down to central Belize that was still up underneath the, uh, um, the Queen of England. Even on their money and all of the things. They have one. We, we complain about roads. Anybody complain about roads in Jefferson County? That's because you've not been to Blunt County much. Right? <clears throat> we complain about our roads and do all that stuff. You know, there's one central highway in Belize, one main road, and then you get off the bus. And when you get off the bus, you're going to trek 5 to 15 to 20 miles sometimes out to your village. You're going to walk and do all those things. We've not been outside of the country. And what's happening is, is we're beginning to be spoiled by all of the blessings and the riches that we have here in the United States. Because I'm telling you, it is the absolute best place that we could ever have been born in. Amen? But looking at this, where's our allegiance stand? Just a few years ago, after the attacks on the United States, it was only until then that national sports players were willing to just sit down and take $10,000 $10, fines to not stand for the national anthem and to not stand for the flag. 
They'd rather take a $10,000 fine. And the reason it was happening is because they were coming from other nations that their allegiance was to that nation. But our allegiance must stay true no matter what other people think. No matter what other people's allegiances are to. You know, I'm not going to stop being a Christian today just because someone else follows the devil. No, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to be true. And I'm going, to, I'm going to pledge my allegiance to Jesus Christ. Amen. And something that I believe in. But look at what it says. Our allegiance is not to flags, to buildings, to people. Our allegiance is not to that. But look what even in the, even in the pledge, it says, I pledge allegiance to, uh, 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 of the flag of the United States of America to the republic for which it stands. The republic being, it speaks of the people and their guiding principles. We must understand in standing beside her, as Congress sang about, we stand beside her and it means that we must stand beside her and listen to me, only her principles. We cannot stand beside the principles of the United States and the principles of other countries that disagree with the principles of the United States. Now, I know I shouldn't have to say that. I'm not an American history teacher, but we cannot mix light and darkness and Satan and Christ. And we, our allegiance is to this country, and if there are other countries that want to go against that, then we can't stand arm in arm with them. Listen, we could stand with a nation such as Israel that believes in sanctity of life, sanctity of marriage, and all of these other things, but we can't stand with countries that would gas their own people. We can't stand with countries that would go out and do all of this, this chemical warfare on their own citizens because we in the United States believe that we should not do that. That we believe every life is equal and that it's created by their God and they are given inalienable rights. Amen. We believe that they have value. And today we don't say it enough. And I know you didn't come to hear the Declaration or the Constitution, but I have a velvet copy of them at home that many times I open up and reread and reread and reread. Why? Because I am a citizen of the United States of America. And we shouldn't be standing around here talking about things that we really don't even know about and quoting things that are not in the Declaration, that are not in the Constitution, that are nowhere in the bylaws or in the, uh, the Bill of Rights, right? But we need to speak such as this. Listen to what this writer here says about the Word of God, what he says about righteousness that exalts a nation. And I love, people say, Brother Steve, why, why do you read out of the King James? Why do you read some of these older books and stuff? I love the way they speak. You know why? Because I'm dumb. And it makes me slow way down and try to discern all of this. I can't tell you how many times in the day that I go, Hey, Siri, what does this word mean? And I, I quote the word. And she goes, Well, that word, and she's so smart. And that word means this right here. And I go, Well, okay, I can understand that. You know, thank you. And, you know, and I tell her I love her, and she says, I'm not capable of that. <laughs> I do. And then I can tell her to beatbox for me, and she does that. But listen, it says... If we understand by exalting a nation, whatever governs with gentleness and negotiates with success, attacks with courage and defends with resolution, and constitutes the happiness of a people, then a nation is only exalted by righteousness. If all of those things are fruits produced from righteousness being in a nation, then we must know that only God and being under God can bring all of those fruitful benefits. Listen to what he says. It says, uh, national exaltation, righteousness exalts a nation. These words at once reveal to us the great secret in all national improvement. National happiness comes from this. National peace and prosperity. Let us not suppose that legislative enactments 
criminal laws, or courts of justices and houses of correction could ever succeed in uprooting vice and implanting virtue. Let us never think that doing all of these things by adding more laws, by bringing in more court systems and courts of justices, by building more prisons and and places and houses of correction, that it could ever succeed in uprooting sin and bringing righteousness. Isn't that deep? Never let it be known that we could do that. It says these words, in securing peace and protecting property, it could never remove sin and exalt the nation. These truly should not be left undone, but never for one moment imagine that in them themselves that they could remedy the problem with sin and evil. These can never change the heart of man. These can never change the heart of woman. It says, think not that a nation's true, substantial, and lasting greatness consists in its power, in its wealth, in its nobility, or in its princely palaces, or in its extensive cities, or its warlike achievements, or its naval victories, or its commercial enterprise, or its colonial possessions. Do not be dazzled with the glitter and the glare of this mere external appearance of greatness. Because it is not a nation that exalts themselves, but it is the righteousness of God that exalts a nation. It is a nation who is under God, who is exalted by Almighty God that brings all of this. As we stand beside her, we've got to understand that when we stand with all of the people together, it's very difficult to stand sometimes together across the board. You want to look on this side. You want to look on that side. You want to be blue. You want to be red. You want to be libertarian. You want to just go to the, the beach and just do like an ostrich and sometimes stick your head in the sand. You just want to go, I quit, I give up, I can't do that. But the other words in that song says, stand beside her. The other words are this, guide her. And guide her. Do you know what guiding her means? It is actually the same way that you would think of this. None of us would get into a big rig truck or into a school bus today or a large vehicle and drive down the road and just sit back. And just let it take us wherever it wants. You know why? Because that thing has no capabilities. It has no discerning. It has no capabilities to take you wherever it wants to go. Because it has no mindset. And it will go just wherever that the actual things in the road will lead it. If there's a bump in the road, it'll shoot you over to the left, Brother Ronnie. If there's a a divot in the road, it may shoot you out off the interstate to the right. But no, there's something small in front. And it's a steering wheel that's connected down to everything. And it's just like the rudder on a ship. And it says, how great a ship sails through the ocean, but it is guided by a small rudder in the back end of it all. One small movement, airplanes that we get on, man, those massive, powerful airplanes that take off and actually the thrust pushes us up. And as we're pushed up, it can be guided with simple flaps that's on the end of its wings and move it around. Isn't that amazing? And we must guide. We must be the one guiding the United States of America. We cannot let her guide herself. We cannot let her guide the founding principles. We cannot let her just move where she wants to move. She is not a river flowing and just trying to find a path somewhere. We must guide her. And as much as we want to sit around in our homes, sit around at the church, drinking our coffee, sipping on our sweet tea here in Alabama, and talk about everything that's wrong with the United States, all of these decisions that are being made, all of these horrible things that are being done, as much as we want to do that, we are the ones that guide this nation. 
We are the ones that have a voice. We are the republic. We are the people. We have the voice to go out and do it. But the problem is, is we want to sit back and complain more than we want to get up and make this place a better place to live. We need to what? We need to speak out in the name of Christ. We need to speak out in one nation being under God. Brother Steve, they don't want to hear that. Neither did I when the preacher was preaching that day. I didn't want to hear it. Well, Brother Steve, nobody wants to even join with us anymore. You must decide today if you're going to be by yourself or not. Somebody asked me years ago because we were talking about the school system. And somebody came up to me and they were trying to be a Pharisee and be a little bit smart aleck about things. Pharisee is scriptural. In the, in the South, we just call them smart aleck. And was trying to be smart. I said, well, what are you doing to change, you know, our school system? I said, man, every day. I said, believe it or not, I'm PTA president. <laughs> In elementary school, right? I am. Well, what do you do? I get to do the chaplain every time. When we meet together, I get to bring the word of God. I get to open up in prayer every single time in the name of Jesus. I am there every day trying to help those kids out. Well, what else? What other kind of difference you think you're making? Every single day, I get to be the first one that kids see as they get onto my bus. Some of those kids come out of the biggest mansion you could ever look at or I would ever think of in my life, but yet they have come out, a liter- come out of a literal hell that they've walked out of and come on the bus, and they need to find grace and mercy in that time, amen? Listen, it doesn't matter. Every single day, we're making a difference. Whatever you're doing, you're making that difference. And listen, uh, Ronald Reagan said it back in 1984. August 23rd, 1984, he said this, if we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. If we forget these things, we must steer her and not allow her to steer us. Listen, we will never see the indivisibleness that we recite in our pledge unless we are a nation under God. We will never see the liberty and justice for all that we monotonely recite in our pledge, unless we're a nation that is under God. And when Francis Bellamy wrote that down as that Baptist pastor that he was, when he penned these words down, he brought up the word indivisible. Why? Just now coming out 27 years later out of the Civil War, what was the greatest desire for our country is that we would stop being divided. That we would stop being divided. And here we are years later, and we are as much divided as we ever have been about issues. But that doesn't mean that we stop desiring that indivisibleness. Not only that, but look at those words, liberty and justice for all. I wonder where he got those fancy words from. He pulled them out of what was talked about, the pursuit of liberty, the pursuit of happiness, liberty. All of those things were taken out of the founding father's words, brought it all back up. This pledge is just simply a reminder, a regurgitation, if you'd understand that, of bringing back what we need to understand over and over what we have here in the United States. You are not waking up in a country today where you fear somebody coming in and hauling all of us out and taking our heads off. Right. Come on. See, see, they don't do that. Yes, they do. There's more martyrs that has been in the last 20 years across the world than there were in the days of Nero. And Nero was a psychopathic killer right. that had people brought into the Roman Colosseum and killed, ripped apart by animals. These things are going on all of the time. People are being burned. People, people are being locked into their churches in India and the whole church buildings burned. You say, well, what should we do, Brother Steve? Look, number one, we need to be a church that's under God's righteousness. <clears throat> we must be under God's righteousness. Look at what it says in Proverbs 14:34. Righteousness exalts a nation. It's not us that exalts. It doesn't say military exalts a nation. It doesn't say possessions exalt a nation. 
It doesn't say that our land and what we have here with our waters, our streams, our mountains and stuff, possessions exalt a nation. It says righteousness exalteth a nation. And the righteousness is of God. Because you say, why? Because righteousness is defined as this. It's virtue, morality, honesty, uprightness of heart and in life. Righteousness can only come from God working through us. It's not a self-effort in doing better or becoming better or growing up to be better. Righteousness is our total dependency upon God. It's our total leaning independency upon God. Listen, I wrote this down. Our independence that we have, this great independence of the United States that we have, comes from a great dependency upon God and His grace. It comes from seeking God. It comes from men and women crossing over and writing out things such as the Mayflower Compact that says that they came to do what? To advance the Christian faith. To do the things of God. Listen, it is sown all through our documents that we have in the United States. Stay with me. It is sown through even our building. It is etched and carved in many buildings. I'm going to give you two of them. In the U.S. Capitol building, many of the eight large paintings in the rotunda, they depict America's Christian heritage. They include the baptism of an Indian princess by the name of Pocahontas in the, Vin, uh, in the Virginia Charter. It says, and one painting depicts pilgrim leader William Brewster holding on to an open Bible inscribed with these words, the New Testament of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At the chapel of the House of Representatives, it contains an open Bible on an altar in front of a stained glass window depicting George Washington's prayer, and the words say this, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Psalm 16 verse 1 behind the speaker there in the house of representatives it says are the words and the national motto that says in God we trust it is shown through everything we have as Americans it is shown through everything but it is the most argumentative trying to be diminished thing that we can talk about. Not only that, but in the White House, the Adams Prayer Mantle was installed in 1945 by Franklin D. Roosevelt, and it contains a prayer by John Adams, the second president of the United States of America. And this is what it says, I pray heaven to bestow the best of its blessings upon this house and on all those that should hereafter inhabit it. May none... But, excuse me, honest and wise men ever rule under this roof. Listen to it again. It is in the White House. I pray heaven to bestow the best of blessings upon this house and all those that should hereafter inhabit it. May none but honest and wise men ever rule under this roof. It is sown through not only that, but in, it's sown through the Library of Congress, through the Supreme Court building, in the Jefferson Memorial, in the Washington Monument, in the National Archives. When you walk in, there is a bronzed etched Ten Commandments in the floor of the National Archives. On the coins of the National Archives, and I have one in my office, on one side it talks about the United States National Archives building. On the other side is an image of the Ten Commandments, as big as everything right there. In the Lincoln Memorial. And not only that, there's scripture in Union Station. It's all over the place. Because why? No matter what people tell you about, we were not founded upon Judeo-Christian values. And they were not people of the Word of God. The people that came over on a boat that day, they came over with the Geneva Bible in their hand, with the pursuit of the Christian faith. We were founded and we are governed by many of the principles that are found in the Word of God. No matter how they state it, they can't change it until they take off all of the carvings off of all of our buildings. And we may approach that way, but one place they can never take it from. One place they can't get it out of, and that's in your heart. Amen? Amen. 
They can't change that. Listen, the Bible teaches us that we should be a nation under God. Uh, not only under God's righteousness, but under God's exaltation. I know some of you may be a little, you know, superstitious. You know what I mean? And as me and Andrew joke about, you, you may not be superstitious. You may just be a little stitious, okay? <clears throat> but I know some of you go, you shouldn't be opening the umbrella in here. And I probably, oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to aim it over this way. There is a button in there. Good, not alive. I figured I'd bring a broken umbrella. I can't get it open. Okay. You, you can't get it open? Some of y'all may can. I can't get it open. Wait. I can set it down and it will probably open up. Aha! I hate when illustration goes wrong. I don't have to practice from Brian more. <laughs> but when you... When you look at a nation being under God, I want you to think about this illustration. It is like a gentleman, and I know that that word is not found anymore, because now they're just a bunch of dogs, mostly. Gentlemen, or a woman, woman walking along in the rain, he comes beside her, and he puts the umbrella over her. You know, no, 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 don't misunderstand me. He didn't bring her in, get her close to him, and they all get huddled up under the umbrella. There was a day where they'd put it over them and as they walked. But you know what? The whole time, that woman could do whatever she wants. And she could walk away from that grace and being underneath the umbrella of that man's mercy and his grace and his kindness. You know what? Or she could choose to walk in that. That's just like you and I. Come on, bro. The United States of America is slowly, every day, moving further and further away and walking away from God. Today... When you have just common courtesy to say certain things that are just nice and just being a gentleman even to some people and some women, they bite your heads off for just trying to be nice and to be gracious. And that is the same illustration of what's happening in the United States. We're moving further and further away. Actually, all of the things that we were founded upon are eroding day after day after day after day after day after day. You know why? Number one, because we're allowing it. What we need to do is get out some sandbags and stop it from eroding. What we need to do is to seek God and ask ourselves, are we underneath him? It says righteousness, what? Exalts a nation. What does the word exalt mean? It means to lift up, to uphold, to praise, to do the protection, to do all of this. But look at this last thing. <clears throat> but sin is a disgrace to any people. See, the further we move away from God, sin is a disgrace to any people. We say that we're a nation under God. We talk about other nations. And we go, how? How could they ever do such a thing to their own people? How could they gas their own people? How could they line their own people up and murder them? How could they sample chemical warfare on their own people? Does anybody in here understand that? Anybody in here ever asked that question before? And look at other dictators and other rulers and other nations. And thank God that you don't live there. How could they do all of this? And we can't get along with that. But yet here we are in the United States. And we are leaders. Leading. in throwing babies away. We are leading in not just doing the practice. But glorifying the practice. We're leading in making it more palatable or pleasing to people. <clears throat> We're turning it into airplanes and allowing people to do it 
And people still not understanding that that's life. Here's what we do. We hire scientists that look Ross in microscopes and they look at this amoeba that's an organism or this virus that's called coronavirus or <clears throat> COVID-19. And they look in these microscopes and magnify it hundreds if not thousands of times and they see the little coronavirus. The reason they call it the coronavirus is because they say that it has crowns all over it. You've seen the picture where it's like gray and then it's got the little red triangle looking things on it because they say it has multiple crowns all over the top of it and the word is crown corona. They go in and they can look at it and they say that is a live organism and it is a dangerous thing <clears throat> and that it could be on surfaces is what they said in the beginning. <clears throat> it can be out of our mouth, out of our particles and we're all wrapped up for the last months doing all of this stuff for the last eight months looking at this thing. It's lively, it's alive, it's an organism, it's doing lots of virus, it's moving, it's growing, it gets in your body and it actually crown it takes over those things and the respiratory system's broken down to where eventually if people are dying from it in a place where they're having blood clots in their lungs or their lungs are having problems and they're filled up so much with fluid to where they begin to cough up and to spit up blood and then they'll pass away or expire and we see all these numbers that are doing that and we call it that it's alive it's moving it's doing this but yet we can't look at an eight-month pregnant woman a nine-month pregnant woman, and see a handprint, fist print, roll across her belly, or a footprint stick out of her belly, and sit there and see all that, and say that that is no life. There's no life in there. We can't see things. And Jesus told Nicodemus the same thing. He said, you can't even discern the wind, and you won't be able to discern and understand things that are spiritual. He said, don't marvel that I say unto you, you must be born again. What was he saying? He said, you can't even discern where the wind blows, but you know where the wind's blowing because why? Because you see the effects of it and the leaves and, and the trees that blow and all of that. And that's us today. We have the smartest people in the world working on life experiences, but yet we are so far away from truth that they can't even see that life is in a womb. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing, church. Listen, what are we supposed to do? What can we do? Sin is a disgrace to any people. What do we do? We must repent. We must repent. Say, so Brother Steve, isn't it all about the vote Tuesday? Yes, you need to do those things. Let me tell you something. You can't sit around in your homes and complain about countries doing all of those things to their own people while we're yet doing these things to our people and allowing this stuff to go on. We can't sit around and talk about everybody else's sin when what that is like is them having a toothpick in their eye and us having a cross tie in our eye. So what do we do? We must repent. What is repent? We must repent to where we feel sorry for what we've done, but not just sorry about it, but to the point repentance. Nahum in the Old Testament was to have a change of mind. The Bible says God changed his mind that he even created man. It repented God that he made man. The New Testament is the word is metaneo, and it means to have a change of mind, but to have a change of direction. It means that when you repent, that if you believe this one way and God has shown you that it's wrong, then you don't keep walking that way. You walk back toward God. And this is how it's going to happen. And you can write it down. God's already wrote it down. But you can write this down all day long. Righteousness exalts a nation. Not a nation itself. If a nation is going to be exalted, it's going to be by the hand of God Almighty. Righteousness exalts a nation. But the second portion says sin 
is a reproach, is what the word uses. But you know what that word means? It's a disgrace to any people. Brings them down. So how do we repent? Brother Steve, this is what the churches are doing today. They're calling on this national repentance. Half the church is calling on a national repentance, and then the other half of the church is saying God's never going to do that again. And both are wrong if we're going to start out on square one or step one. Step one is you must repent individually. You have to repent individually. I've seen it throughout the years. Men that have asked me to pray for their wives, wives that have asked me to pray for their husbands. You know what their prayer was? Pray that God changes them. Pray God changes them. And I always tell them, you're going to have to pray that God changes you first. Because you've got to start with you. <clears throat> you have to repent individually, and it must be done as a repentant believer. Daniel was probably one of the greatest guys in the Bible. I mean, the guy was 14 years old, and he was kidnapped and taken into slavery. He didn't, he didn't cause that. The people before him caused that, Brother Ricky. But yeah, he had to suffer for it. He was taken out in slavery by the Babylonians for 70 years. <clears throat> All these things happened to him. He was under wicked kings. They threw him into a lion's den because he prayed. Man, he suffered a whole lot. But Daniel stayed the course. But in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel prayed this way. Father, we have sinned and committed abomination against you. Of all the things you want to look at that and go, Daniel, you shouldn't have to say we. Because I know you stayed strong. That'd be like me saying, Martha, you shouldn't have to say we when the whole church messes up. Well, I know Martha didn't do anything wrong. I mean, Martha couldn't do anything wrong. She's sweet little Martha, right? Now, Edward's kind of, he probably had a different opinion. She couldn't have done anything wrong. You know what I mean? She's walked with God. You know, since the day she's believed in Christ, she's walked with God and did all those things. But when a true believer really wants change, they jump in and they say, Lord, we have done wrong. Because why? Because why? Because we are the ones that should be steering and guiding her and a lot not allowing her to guide us. The second thing is then we can repent collectively. And you say, what is that, Brother Steve? The church, the body of Christ has to repent. We so desperately want to see this great move of God in our nation. I do. I don't know if any of y'all do. I do. I want to see revival. I want to see what you talked about, the Wells revival. I want to see that happen. And I get so tired to where I, I ball my fist up sometimes when people go, oh, yeah, we're going to see that again. I'm like, not with you. <clears throat> I want to see it. But it's not going to start nationally until it first starts in your individual heart. And then the church has got to be moved. The Bible says, says let the judgment of God begin at the house of God. It's got to start with the church. Do you know why people... And the church is not very influential in our nation anymore. Can I tell you real simple? You might want to stop your kids' ears up real quick. I'm going to tell you real simple. It's because of preachers running around with people in the church. It's because of deacons that are molesting children. And the church is living so much like the stinking world that we no longer have an influence or a foot in anymore. Because they're living so wicked. Just last year, two years ago, at the Southern Baptist Convention, an article was released by the Houston Chronicle of 272 different people that were youth ministers, pastors, youth pastors, children's pastors that had molested people throughout a 17-year period and that they were never held accountable. And you want to go, what in the world are you talking about? Until the church repents and does the right thing, we're not going to see 
God move and that righteousness be over us. And the last one is this. If we do those things individually, collectively as a church, then maybe we could see God bless America again. Maybe we could see that happen. And it may not be, listen to me, those of you 60 and up, it's probably not going to be in your lifetime. I hope those of you that are 40 and up like me, we've got to say, hey, we repent of our sins. And the church is going to try to do right. And we're going to try to guide her. It didn't say guide her through the principles of the Declaration of Independence. The song they sang on the steps of the Capitol didn't say we'll guide her with the Constitution of the United States. The song said, they sang it. Many unbelievers sang it. All Congress did. It says that we will guide her through the night, which is dark times, with the light from above. It's talking about with God. That we will guide her with God's light. Now, some of you are under the impression, well, I can't make a difference. I'm just little old so-and-so from whatever city, Alabama. I can't make a difference. You can. It starts with you individually. Then you make a difference in the church house. And then hopefully it makes a difference in the community and then the state. And it just spreads like a wildfire. You know what the Bible says in Psalms 33? It says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. It also says on the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. God can bless the United States again and again and again. But we can't sit around here <laughs> and say they're doing all this while we're doing all of these sins. Some people say, well, Brother Steve, we should just let the United States just do what it wants to do and the government do what it wants to do and all of that stuff. And we just go on and kind of just work through this thing. But not if government is taking away righteous principles. What are the two main things that we argue about in the nation of the United States right now? And it ain't Biden and Trump. What are the two main things, that the, the platforms that we're, we're arguing about right now? There's really two main things. One of them is the sanctity of life. That's the two big things that kind of draws a line for people. The sanctity of life. Who gave life? God gave life. Drew, God breathed life into Adam. And he became a living soul. So we don't really, as Christians, need to argue about the sanctity of life and how valuable life is. If God created life and he gave it, it's valuable. There's no question for us. Listen, back in the 80s, that's just this. Duh. Duh. What's the other thing we argue about? The sanctity of marriage. Where did marriage come from? Marriage didn't come from the United States of America. Marriage didn't come from being in this world. Marriage didn't even come from, look, Adam going, hey, baby, you want to get married? It didn't do it. The Bible says that he created man, and he saw that there was no help me, no helper for him. And so he took from him bone of his bone and created a help me. And then he said this statement. Listen to it now. Before there was any other people on the earth, he said this statement in Genesis. After he gave Adam that wonderful bride, God performed the ceremony. After, you know what he said? Man shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. I could have understood that over in Genesis 22. But this is over here in the creation. Why? Because God gave marriage. He ordained those things. Those are things that we shouldn't sit around and argue and go, well, what do we do about it? We do the righteous thing about it. We have to. Why? Why? Why should we do that? Church, I'm, I'm closing. I'm done. I'm fixing to be done. Why should we do that? 
Because when we move away from God's principles, sin brings disgrace to any people. When we move away from what is righteous, sin brings a disgrace upon all things. And when we move away from sanctity of life, you know what we've slowly done? We've moved to allowing it to be a woman's decision to where no responsibility is given. Do you know what now? Now we want to sell. Now we want to move into selling babies, parts, pieces, and stuff. Because why? When we move away from what is righteous, we're on a downward slope to where it's just going to bring more disgrace and more disgrace and more disgrace. To where eventually, now we're moving to where you don't even have, a, have to have a real doctor to do it. Because why? There's no ending to the abyss. It just keeps going, Brother Ricky. The same way with marriage. The thing that was holy and hallowed by God between a man and a woman now is going on a downhill slope to where we're moving to same sex, to where we're moving to eventually to pedophilia, to where we're moving on down and on down because there is no bottom to an abyss and there's no ending to sin. So should we stand up for the Word of God? Yes. Because why? Because we want to pick a fight with people? No, you got the wrong idea. Because we want the righteousness of God. And we want to be what? I'm not even going to open that thing. We want to be under God. Under His righteousness. And under His hand.